Blog Talk Radio. Zelia, Bill Ingram here. A uh, little hoop talk here on Back Sports Page Radio Network. Bill Ingram, the legendary Texas beat writer. Bill, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to build you up here. I'm going to build you up as legendary. Um, and we're, this is sort of just we're doing a little fun, I guess you want to call it a test show. We're just trying a couple of different things here. So if you're hearing this, thank you very much for tuning in for us. You can find all these episodes on BackSportsPage.com. SoundCloud iTunes, wherever you find your audio uh, platforms for, for podcasting, that's where you can find Bill and I. So, Bill, uh, with all that plugging and everything, it's good to have you on with me, my friend. Well, I will tell you what I've told my uh, college students who have said, oh, you're a celebrity, you're a legend, blah, blah, blah. Like, well, no, I know celebrities and I know legends, and there's a big difference between that, and it's a whole lot of zeros. <laughs> <laughs> it's why I'm yeah, teaching I'm college that. now instead of, you know, some other whatever glamorous thing they imagine. But uh, I have uh, over the last 20 years had the great privilege and never, never took a moment for granted. Uh, but I've had the great privilege of getting to know some amazing people, some amazing players, uh, Kim Olajuwon, Jerry Sloan. You know, I mean, the list goes on, Jason Terry, Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, a lot of guys who are just incredible people as well as incredible players. And uh, for whatever else, uh, money and accolades and stuff that, that have come along over the years, the best part of covering the NBA has always been getting to know amazing people. Yeah, I I can tell you for all my years of both working with the NBA and the NFL, uh, just uh, some, of them, some of those people like uh, Al Iazzoni, just for example, we covered the Nets a little bit back when I first started. Then for years and years covered the New York Knicks and now covers the Jets. He and I always seem to pick up right where we left off. And uh, I always find it absolutely amazing. I bet you when he hears this too, he'll love the shout out. But Bill, let's talk a little hoops. Uh, it's been such an eventful NBA offseason. This free agency, is it, was it me or was free agency just a little weird this year? Well, it was crazy. I, I honestly... And again, I've covered the, the league many years. I can't remember a free agency period where so many teams were so impacted by uh, not only the teams that got free agents, but the the players who left, teams that lost free agents. Uh, of course, this year's poster child will be Kawhi Leonard, who wins a championship 
seemingly easily. I mean, the Raptors were easily the best team in the East, and you leave a situation where you had the way paved. I mean, who was going to beat them in the East this coming season? And instead you go to the West where it is so stacked that while you like the Clippers on paper, are they who's the favorite? I mean, there's so many great teams in the West. So you would think, man, stay in the East where you have an easy path. In the West, nothing's guaranteed. Uh, and then you you look at the the Rockets getting – Russell Westbrook, you look at, of course, the Lakers getting Anthony Davis. You look at uh, Hassan Whiteside landing in Portland. You look at Mike Conley landing in Utah. So many teams were radically impacted by this free agency period. And I can't recall a time when all of those teams were centered in one conference. The Western Conference was had an incredible offseason. In the East, you're still going, meh. They had some bad uh, you know, a couple teams got really bad, but overall, uh, the West was completely reshaped by this off by the by the free agency period in the space of a week. I I, I agree with that too, and I think if you had to rank the moves, uh, I still think obviously Kawhi going to the Clippers with Paul George. I think that combination of moves because I think that all sort of happened. That all happened within like five minutes of each other. Kawhi's going to the Clippers, and well, Paul George is getting yeah. traded. Yeah, and so Kawhi was demanding that. that Paul George be acquired by whichever team got him, <laughs> which is why the Raptors were like, "We can't do that." Uh, yeah, uh, it's crazy. So I think that's a combination of moves. So that goes. I think that fills into the number one slot of the biggest move of the offseason. Um, For sure. I think two. I think two is the combination of Durant and Kyrie going to Brooklyn. I think that's I think that's I'll, fair. I'll put an asterisk right next now. to that one because I wonder if Kyrie Irving will ever be the championship Kyrie who played in Cleveland pre-injury. I just wonder about okay. that. And what will what will Kevin Durant look like post-injury? So I, I'll put an asterisk there. Honestly, I think the Lakers getting Anthony Davis. I would personally place them above. Uh, what happened in Brooklyn, and I would place, not just because I'm a total Rockets homer, but I would also place Westbrook for Chris Paul above that one. Okay, no, and, and that's fair, because I always think those types of moves, and, and when you're ranking something, it's the eye of the beholder. I'm also a very Totally. Big, oh, completely. I was, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, I'm also a very, very interested to see um, – and this is not obviously is not as big as those moves you just said, but it's how this is now going to work out with Tobias Harris, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid playing in Philly together without really backcourt help, because that backcourt looks very very bare now in Philadelphia. So that's very intriguing to see how that's going to work, how Kemba Walker is going to fit in Boston, and where that. I love that move, leadership by the way. Is, I, I love Kemba to Boston. I think Kemba I think now a gets a chance too. to show what he can do with quality talent around him, which the Charlotte Bobcats and Hornets struggled to do. They, they really struggled to put quality talent there. And Kemba, I mean, we're seeing it with Team USA. You know, he's got great players around him, not all-stars. The Team USA this time around is not LeBron and KD and, you know, all the, the top names. It's just a lot of really good players, and Kemba is shining, and that's what he has an opportunity to do in Boston. So I also I love that move. 
I think Philly yeah, and also if you're Jimmy Butler what? How do you leave Philly with him there? They're perhaps the favorites to win the East. He goes to Miami? Uh okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, what do you what do you say about that? If you're Jimmy Butler, they traded him from Whiteside. They they tried to deal Dragic. I mean, they did deal Dragic to Dallas, but then the, then the Mavs uh, backed out of it. The the Heat thought they were rebuilding, and all of a sudden, Jimmy Butler agrees to go there. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make much sense. And the funny thing is, too, you're talking about the uh, the move with the Miami Heat made. You talked about how different moves are affecting other teams. Hassan Whiteside leaving Miami, I think, helps him because I thought the marriage was over there anyway. And it's really going to put a nice breath of fresh air in Portland because if as long as Hassan Whiteside understands his role in Portland Mm -hmm. as the number three, number four option on that team, what what a third, fourth option that Portland's going to have. They finally have a a pick-and-pop guy, a pick-and-roll guy, to go with Lillard and McCollum on the floor, an inside presence that can score points. So I think that's going to be very I, interesting to see where, where that goes. I couldn't agree more. I love that move. Uh, the Blazers were a surprise getting into the Western Conference Finals. Of course, had the injury to starting center. Now you've got a one-two punch at center that is second to none in the NBA. Granted, the center position is not the focus that it was in the 90s, but you've got Arguably the best backcourt in the league. Perhaps Houston is number one. Portland's right there. You got to the Western Conference Finals. You're going to have two incredible uh, centers, presumably healthy, come playoff time. Uh, Portland, I mean, and Terry Stotts, an incredible, underrated coach. I got to know him in Dallas. He was huge when the Mavs won their championship. He was a big part of that. And that we've seen him do great things in Portland. I think the anybody that sleeps on the Blazers is crazy because you've got a lot of continuity. They didn't have a huge changeover, and they've got uh, a really a good deep bench and a great coach. Oh, wow! And and Damian Lillard, who in the clutch is as clutch as just about anybody, not named Kevin Durant. <laughs> well, and it's interesting too. You mentioned the Houston Rockets with the moves that they've made. You know, trading Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook, I still feel that that team, obviously with Mike D'Antoni, you're not playing a lot of defense. I just feel that they need a little bit more depth on the front line. Guys who are still out there, Noah, Fareed, those guys are still out there. Fareed was there last season. I guess he wasn't a good enough fit to to hang around there. Now, my question to you is, a a guy like Jakeem Noah, who has options still to be an effective player in the league, does he look at a team like Houston or does he look at a team like the Clippers? If the Clippers are open to bringing somebody else in to be a, uh, a contributor in that sense, where do you, th- what's the best option for a guy like Jakeem Noah right now? Well, let's not forget marching Gortat, whose name has been thrown around uh, with the Lakers and a few other teams. Uh, I think what's your job? If you're, if you're in Houston and you're Joe Kim Noah, you're marching Gortat, what's your job exactly? Your job is to back up, to be a backup center who can set screens, who will rebound. And, I mean, it would be nice if he played defense. We know Mike D'Antoni doesn't ask that, but Gortat and Noah are both long, tall, you know, capable defenders. 
um, and you're playing behind Capella. There's not a big load on your shoulders. What an incredible fit. I mean, somebody's going to rebound it and push the ball out, uh, you know, kick it out for the fast break. And we know the Rockets are going to run more than any team in the league. Uh, I would love, uh, in terms of fit, I would love to see Noah or Gortat in there behind uh, Joe Kim, no, uh, behind uh, Clint Capella. Um, and I, I don't think the issue was that Kenneth Reed didn't fit all that well. The minutes weren't there. He got hurt. Um, but he's, you know, he's another guy. You need somebody who will rebound relentlessly and doesn't really care about their offense. And all three of those guys, uh, granted, Farid is a, is a smaller player, but Joe Kim Noah, perfectly happy to rebound, kick the ball out, not worried about his own offense, not going to get many looks anyway unless it's an offensive putback. I think these are the types of players that would really do well in Houston. And when you talk about a team that has been uh, the Warriors away from being in the finals uh, the last couple of seasons, <laughs> uh, if Chris Paul hadn't gotten hurt two years ago, they really seem to have the Warriors number. Um, you know, I think Houston could be if Westbrook and Harden can get along and they can share the ball and one of them can figure out how to play off the ball or just enjoy playing off of the, you know, they can take turns being point guard. Um, then Houston could be deadly. On the other hand, if Westbrook has the impact in Houston of running off everybody like he has done, like he did in Oklahoma City, then that could also be a nightmare waiting to happen. Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to tell me that. Did, did you think with uh, the pending free agency with Dwight Howard? Do you think uh, you know now that he is a free agent, you're just waiting to clear waivers? Or all signs of him signing with the Los Angeles Lakers. You and I have had the conversation where my thought would be him joining the Clippers because it would have been the best bet. Because uh, all he had to do is def- play defense and rebound. But if he ends up being a cancer in the locker room, you're taking a championship contender and putting him down uh, in the dumps. And now he's going to the Los Angeles Lakers. Another team like the Philadelphia 76ers. Questions about the backcourt. Not, no questions about their front line. Could, have been, could be one of the best front lines in the NBA. But the backcourt situation is very, very light. Um, you know, Gary Aid, who hosts the NBA show, who's also very close to the back sports page, kept on saying, well, don't, don't sleep on Danny Green. Yes, Danny Green is a spot-up shooter who can play defense. But when I, tell, when I started saying the name Danny Green, he's not putting the fear of life into you during, the, uh, during a game. Danny Green is not the guy you're sitting there saying, he's going to be the guy who beats us. So... No, Danny Green, you can't put the ball in his hands and say, go create some offense. Exactly. You, you just can't. So I, I think you're exactly. absolutely right with that analogy. Uh, you know, the Clippers, for all of their strengths with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and they have, they have depth too. But the issue with, with uh, Dwight Howard, if he's there, We've heard, we've heard it over and over from Dwight. We heard it in Orlando. We heard it when he was with the Lakers. We heard it when he was with Houston. He doesn't get the ball needs to run through him, right? The offense should run through Dwight. The problem is, uh, and I had the opportunity to visit with Akeem Olajuwon, who I had got to know quite well. Uh, he invited me over to his house, and we did a, a video interview with him. And then we just sat there, me and my camera guy, sat in his living room talking Rockets basketball for like two hours. I I asked for half an hour. I got a whole morning. And one of the people he had worked with was, uh, he'd worked with LeBron, he'd worked with Kobe, he'd worked with Dwight. And he broke down each one of them. And he said, 
Kobe will always be the best player on the court because of his commitment and his love, his desire to win, his heart, and he'll do whatever it takes to win. Said LeBron, he told him, you don't, you don't respect the game. You're busy throwing powder all over everybody. You're making fun of Dirk for, uh, you know, being sick and like that. You don't respect your opponent. You don't respect the game. And we saw a change in LeBron. He told Dwight, yes. you don't take the game seriously enough. You don't work hard. You think everything's just going to come easily to you. And then I watched a video of him, Akeem, at age 50, completely torching Dwight. In his, this was Dwight pre-injury, in his prime, completely torching Dwight out. And Hakeem is absolutely right. Uh, and I don't just say that because I grew up worshiping the man living in Houston. But Dwight, it's all a joke to him. In the locker room, it's all, let me do some funny voices and let me be popular and let me like make some jokes and let me make fun of this. And it's like a stand-up comic in the locker room. But he doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't take it seriously enough to work hard enough to be the best. And that's why we've seen the decline in his game, and it's why he's having to take a, a non-guaranteed situation when not too many years ago he was the most sought-after free agent in the league. You know, And now you're wondering, can he even make an impact? Will he be more negative than positive with the Lakers a second time around? And it, it's a legit question. It's true. It's true. Like At this point in time, what does Dwight Howard have to offer a team like the Lakers? I don't see it. And that's, the, that's why I'm, when I'm breaking down this idea of him going to the Clippers, it's a positive role to be, for him to be part of a championship squad and, and how he can be affected, uh, uh, effective with a team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, where he doesn't need – the ball does not need to go through him. He would be a contributor. And I don't know if his ego will yeah. let him be a contributor. And that's really what, that's, that's the sad part about Dwight Howard. If you don't run the ball through him, he takes plays off on the defensive end. He doesn't rebound as hard. He doesn't work as hard. And he's already not nearly the athlete that he was in Orlando. So now you're talking about his mentality isn't there. The question is, and this has to be the, the question, is he hungry now? Has he finally figured out? Look, nobody cares about you anymore. Like, you're done. A team is ready to pay you to go away. Like, you're done. Like, the league has said, thank you very much. Goodbye. Has that sunk yeah. in yet? Has, do Akeem's words now echo in his mind? And does he say, hey, I want to be relevant in this league. I don't want to be a blip. I don't want to be the dunk contest champion. I don't want to be the Superman tear the – you know, with the S under and the dunk and the, you know, all that from the dunk contest, which was great. But is that all you were? Is that your place in the history of the NBA, or do you have a role to play? And if and it's funny something in his yeah, brain clicks, true. he could play a role. He could be a key player. But I've never seen, and I, you know, Dwight was here in Texas for a while. And I got to know him in Orlando. I've never seen a Dwight Howard who gets that. I, I just never have. Well, the funny thing is he's learning that even though he's 6'10", and he does have a little bit of athletic ability, the league will go on without you. And there's another guy who we're going to talk about right now that it looks like the league just might go on without him, and that's Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony, who 
again, you and I have had this conversation about Carmelo since 2013, that I, I consider him, the, and this is not a, an insult to him, but I consider him the Dominique Wilkins of our generation. He can fill up your stat sheets. He's going to give you highlights. But, but he's, he's never going to lead you to a championship. I think you're doing an incredible disservice to Dominique Wilkins, who I also <laughs> got to know uh, quite well. In retirement, we'd always run into each other at All-Star and different events, and, and I'd always go find him and chat with him because he's just a really neat guy. But Dominique, the only reason he doesn't have championship rings is a guy named Michael Jordan. Dominique <laughs> was incredible, and there was a great team around him. You talk about Kevin Willis. You talk about Doc Rivers, Tree Rollins. They, they had good teams around Dominique, and he was absolutely the leader of that team. The problem was, like so many players, like Stockton and Malone, uh, like Patrick Ewing, you played in, a, in an era where Michael Jordan and Akeem Olajuwon were the only ones who got to the finals. You know, And Atlanta, you saw a, a steady dose of Michael, and Michael was just better than Dominique. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't like that comparison so much because Dominique played both ends of the floor. Dominique was extremely clutch. Oh, Car- I yeah. think Carmelo's issue is he's a one-trick pony. He's all offense. And when his shot started to fall off, it meant he just didn't have a role. It was sad in Houston uh, watching him play with the Rockets in his brief, very brief stint. Uh, because even on a team where they don't ask you to play defense, he couldn't find his shot. And I think that, more than anything else, is the reason he's not going to have a job in the league. Well, what's funny, too, you say that, and I also think back to the year the Denver Nuggets went to the Western Conference Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. Any time it's ever brought up to my attention, I always say that was Chauncey Billups' team. Chauncey Billups was the leader yeah. of that team. And, and they had Chauncey Billups, they had Kenyon Martin. You had two guys who had experience advancing in the NBA playoffs like Billups, like Kenyon. And it just, you know, it's a shame it didn't work out for Canelo in that situation because I think that would have been the closest he would have gotten. But the simple fact of the matter is Carmelo Anthony now is a man without a team. And I almost felt bad for Stephen A. Smith that he had hurt his own credibility. What little credibility that Stephen (laughs) A. had. He had to, um, he had to uh, use his whatever credibility Stephen A. had to do a one-on-one interview to sort of beg the league to give Carmelo Anthony a chance. And I know there was a few teams that reached out to Carmelo to see, you know, to come in for like, a, I guess, a tryout to see what he has left. I know one of them was Brooklyn. I know another one of them was Sacramento. But I don't think any of these teams are really going to take a shot on them. So, yeah, in Brooklyn, you're talking about a team that's to... missing – KD for most of the season. He he would have had a – they're looking for some offense. You know? Yeah, Brooklyn's looking for some offense. So they'll take a you know, one-year deal on Carmelo. If it, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And this will be the second time a team has to settle for Carmelo with Durant not being there. So, yeah, you know, absolutely <laughs> right. it's, it's, sort of, <laughs> it's sort of funny. But when you look I'm at it like not, that – You know, Carmelo you – know, I used to I used to talk to I got to know George Carl very very well when Carmelo was in Denver, and the first game you know they traded uh, Allen Iverson and Carmelo Anthony at the trade deadline at the same time, and their next game was in Dallas 
against the Mavericks. And of course I'm, I was at that game cause I was, I'm in Dallas and I, and I got, a, had a great relationship with George Carl. So he and I sat completely off the record, although he wasn't, he didn't make a, a secret of this at all, but we were just talking about, man, you, you lost all that offense and you got, you know, Danilo Gallinari and some role players. And he said, look, I will take my chances with 12 guys who play together as a team after spending X amount of time with two guys who don't recognize that there are 10 other players on the team. And he's talking about Iverson and Carmelo. It's all about them. There was no team. And so because the rest of the guys weren't getting touches, they weren't playing hard defensively. He talked about the entire impact. George Carl, incredible coach. And of course, knew a great deal about defense from his years in Seattle with Gary Payton. He said, these guys don't play any defense. They come down, they jack the shot up every time. It's horrible for the team morale. Nobody else can pry the ball out of their hands. Everybody else is standing around watching them play. And I will take my chances with any 12 players who will play together as a team as long as you get rid of Iverson and Mello. And that Denver team was actually better from that point to the end of the season than they were prior to that trade. And I think that says everything you need to know about Carmelo Anthony. He's not a leader. He doesn't form your team identity. Uh, and, and that's where I say, man, uh, your Dominique analogy, ah, Dominique was not that man. Dominique was incredible. But <laughs> if you're only going to do one thing, it's the only thing you do well, and that goes away, that's why Carmelo doesn't have a job. Before we start uh, wrapping it up, Bill, if I say to you, give me the eight in each conference, starting with the Eastern Conference, put them in order. Who, who do we got and why? The, the top eight? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go the number one's going to be Boston. I really think Kimball Walker can do that for them. Number wow, you're two, the first person I've heard that said Boston. Wow. Really? And then Philly? is my number two, uh, even with the departure of Jimmy Butler. I, then I think Toronto is going to be respectable, if if only because the rest of the East is not very good. Um, then you're looking at, gosh, it's so wide open, the East. I think I, I'm Miami with Jimmy Butler. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. You're right. Milwaukee. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. I cover the West mostly, so you got to remind me. So Milwaukee <laughs> is number two. I still think now you're right. Even with Brogdon gone, I'll still take Milwaukee number one. A lot of continuity there. Then you go Philly. Then you go Boston. Then you go mm, Indiana probably is right there. Uh, Oladipo healthy the, even though Darren Collison left to be a Jehovah's Witness he's a friend of mine I'm not making fun of him I'm just saying he, he went to you know hey all respect uh, <laughs> then you've got I think Miami is going to be up there just on the strength of Butler and and uh, the weakness of the rest of the, of the East um, Brooklyn I think even with KD out for the season, they've got an awful lot of talent, and Kyrie's going to have something to prove. So after that, who makes it? It's, it's almost you're going to have a sub 500 team making the playoffs in the East. In the West, you're going to have to be 15 games above. 
Don't sleep on Orlando either. Mm, maybe. I don't Steve, know. They Steve find Clifford, a way to underachieve. Steve Clifford played, uh, you know, coached that team very, very well last year, and they, uh, they, made, they made a nice run at the seventh, with the seventh spot. They did. Yeah, that's so. true. Um, okay. All right. I'll put, I'll put Orlando in there. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I started the, started my career covering the magic when Dwight was there. So, okay, I'm good. I'll go there. <laughs> the West though, uh, as you, as you shift over, like, wow, you talk about a, a situation where one or two games, one of those losses that comes in November where you lose to some team you just really shouldn't have lost to is going to weigh heavily in in April. Um, I got to go Clippers number one in the West. I really do. And that's before we find out if some, if they add Joe Kim Noah or I just think that that team was deep before and they're still, and they're even deeper with two stars. Um, then I'm going Houston number two. And that's with the caveat that Russell Westbrook and James Harden are happy to be reunited and can share the ball. Then Denver, number three. Number four, Utah, provided Mike Conley is healthy for 70-plus games. And then the Lakers, uh, and there you've got the issue of Anthony Davis and LeBron. Both are going to miss a bunch of games, and how do they do when that happens? If those guys were... Consistently 75-plus game players, I'd put them number one. Man, eh, number two. Then you've got to go, wow, just – it's so tough. I really like uh, Golden State still, D'Angelo Russell, uh, but you're going to play without Clay Thompson for a while. Clay Thompson was healthy. It's easier to put them next, but I think they're a playoff team. I love Portland. Maybe Portland's next. Um probably underrating Portland. <laughs> you could put six teams at number one in the West, you know? Uh, so I really love what uh, my friend David Griffin has done as the new GM of the Pelicans. He rebuilt them practically overnight. Like in a 48-hour peri- period, he totally rebuilt the Pelicans from a non-playoff team to a team that you think, wow, they could they could be in the finals if everything went a particular way. Um, yeah, and then I, I think – I think they're going to be there. They're, everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I think they're going to be in the playoffs. So. The only reason, it, you That's know, a me. rookie, you never know. Zion Williamson, you just don't know how his college game is going to translate. But I, <laughs> I think he's going to come in and be incredible. So I would say the Pelicans are a very possible 7-8, maybe 6 seed uh, if everything goes right. So what does that leave us? You've got two L.A. teams. You've got Portland. You've got Houston. You've got Denver. You've got Utah. Those are for sure, barring just some catastrophic, you know, James Harden goes down for the season with, you know, something like that. Then you've got the Pelicans, very, very possibly. Uh, Hey, there's talk about Andre Iguodala landing in Dallas. If he does, uh, Dallas is in that discussion. I mean, they've got – Dirk Light, uh, you know, younger Dirk and Porzingis and Luka Doncic is amazing. Uh, you know, so the West just, wow. I mean, I can't recall a time when you just didn't know. The West, there are eight teams that I could say that team's going to be in the finals, and you go, no, that's possible. 
And the last 10 years has been one or two teams every year. Yeah. I, I, like, this is the most wide open we've seen the NBA as a whole for the last God knows how many years. I can't even think. This is how, when the and last Atlanta in the East. Let's, let's <laughs> be sure we mention Atlanta in the East, a bunch of great young players. I don't know if they're certainly not contenders, but they're a playoff team, I think, Atlanta. I'll, I'll go with that. I'll give you my my eight in both conferences. You let me know if you think I'm totally crazy, and that's fine if I if you if you okay. do. I've been called worse. I've been called worse. Just to let you know, I go Milwaukee <laughs> one. <laughs> Milwaukee one, Philly two, Indy three, Boston four. I'm gonna go Toronto five, Brooklyn six, Orlando seven, and a mix. These are gonna be. Either, yeah, either Atlanta, Detroit, or um, you can even yeah. really make an argument for the for the Miami Heat. Okay. Yep. You don't so think all those power my, forwards? I don't. I'm not buying the all power forward team, but some people are the Knicks. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Knicks. There's uh, you know, Tracy thinks Tracy, uh, who works with us too, thinks Knicks are winning 40 games this year. So, you know. All power to him. Uh, then you have uh, in the Western Conference. <laughs> sure, in NBA 2K, after you make some trades, sure. It's all good. Um, you got to subtract five games for James Dolan just uh, just off the top. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought you were going to pick the Knicks because yeah. that's where you are. But, okay, go ahead. So now, the West. No, no, got? no. I'm, I, I, know, I know better. I know a lot better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in, 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 the West, in the Western Conference, I'm going Clippers 1. I'm going to go Portland 2, Houston 3, Utah 4. And from, then from, from here on out, it gets just complicated. I'm going to go Lakers 5. Um, yeah. It's, yep, that's the problem I had. <laughs> Warriors, Warriors 6. Warriors 6, and then I'm going to go... Um, I know I'm leaving somebody out who made it in last year. I'm leaving somebody out who made it made it in last year, and it's I know I took OKC out of the equation. Completely, yeah, no, no way. Yeah, no, no way. Um, I'm just trying to think of who who else was in last year. Oh, you know who I'm San Antonio I'm sorry. made a cameo yeah, I'm in, the in the playoffs. Yeah, in the yeah, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm leaving Denver and San Antonio out. No, oh, I thought you said and, Denver. Yeah, no, Denver, Denver's for sure no. there. Yeah, Denver. San Antonio, sure I got to see Dejounte Murray healthy. You know, if Dejounte Murray's healthy and he's their third star, like they think he's going to be, San Antonio could also be a scary team. But I got to yeah. see that to believe it. Yeah, I left. I left that whole series out. <laughs> I left that whole first Of course, San Antonio has won generation. 70% of their games over the last 20 years. 70% winning percentage over 20 years. Cra- no is team in crazy? professional sports has ever done that. Is that not crazy? Like, when you really think about it, is that not the most craziest thing you've ever heard? I think, you know. And you, you spanned you, multiple you generations to- of players. You saw the first championship. You saw David Robinson and Avery Johnson retire. Then you built up Tim Duncan, 
Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. Now they've all retired, and you're still winning 70% of your games. Yeah, it's crazy. Coach and you ever done that? Thing, you know what the beautiful thing is? And they still don't get the credit for it. That's the amazing thing. No. They don't well, top, they don't get the credit top. from the media, but, but look around the league. How many teams have coaches and front office staff who are from the Spurs organization? Great example, coach of the year last year. Who? Mike Budenholzer, Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. Greg Popovich's top assistant. You know, how many executives around the league? How many? Uh, Dennis Lindsay in Utah. Um, of course, uh, Dell Demps was fired in New Orleans, but every team wants to do what San Antonio has done. And they think they can do it by stealing their front office and coaching staff. <laughs> it hasn't worked out well, too well, except for Milwaukee. Oh, no, and, and for but, Brooklyn for, for taking Sean Marks from the front office. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Anybody that's so, been in the front office or coaching position for the Spurs, you have an open invitation to join any team in the <laughs> league because they all want some of that San Antonio mojo. Well, it's funny thing, too, and this is something that I think you and I will both agree with. Popovich doesn't have a system for and the players have to fit into. He adjusts his system to the players that he has. And I think that yeah. that's the most amazing thing about Popovich. And in, in a league, in a league that right now has a mentality for the coaching that you have to not only try to coach to save your job to win games, you also have to teach these kids the game of basketball because because of AAU basketball and this one-and-done rule in the NBA, these kids are going into the NBA not fully having full education about the game of basketball because they're used to having coaches just roll the ball out. So that's a really, really big thing. For If Popovich is bringing you onto that team, he must see something in you that he's going to say, look, you're going to be working with us and you're going to be a contributor. One through 12, on our team is coming off. If you're coming off the bench, you're contributing into this team, and that's something that Popovich and and Rick Carlisle is very much the same way. Uh, the difference is Popovich has done it at the elite level, and Rick has struggled because the Mavs are, their Mavs front office is not very good, but uh, the Spurs front office is incredible. And players well, you're saying, come you're to San Cuban Antonio. Doesn't do a good job? <laughs> well, it's not. Yeah, Cuban, but also Donnie Nelson is the used car salesman of the NBA. Um, you know, that's why they, every summer, every summer it's like, Oh God, who's left. Okay. Can the Mavs please fill out their roster? Oh, there's a D league guy available. Okay. Well, we'll sign him. This summer was an exception. I don't know if Donnie was like on vacation and somebody else took care of that, but uh, this summer they did well, but the difference is San Antonio, they go out and get the people that they want. And you know what you get. When, and of course, a lot of the star players in the league have played for Popovich with Team USA. They know his reputation. They know that it's his way or the highway, and don't come in complaining about touches or minutes because you'll be gone the next day. Uh, you know, so San Antonio is really a unique situation. But you know, I remember Rick Carlisle when they when the Mavs got Sean Marion. And the first thing Carlisle told Marion was, look, you're not a three-point shooter anymore. You're an inside player. And Matrix told me this story. It was so funny because he's like, I don't play inside. What are you talking about? And you may remember this. Of course, I saw it a bazillion times. But his inside shot was like this little ugly flip shot. And every time he took oh, it, he'd it get into the paint and flip the ball up. 
It was horrible. It was worse than like Kevin Martin or you know like Kevin Martin's hip throw shot that you're like, what the heck? Oh, he made a three. Okay. Uh, but Matrix <laughs> got in there and he was a high percentage player. Rick Carlisle made him over. He said, look, you're not the running gun player anymore. You can't do that anymore. You're older. You have to change your role. Here's what your role is. And it worked. And they won a championship. You know, Matrix was very effective down in the post. Uh, and that, I think, Rick Carlisle doesn't get enough credit because of the fact that management for the Mavs has had the mentality that we can put any 11 players around Dirk Nowitzki and we'll get to the playoffs. And they did for a lot of years. And you, a lot of times that was a first-round exit. But, you know, Pop, <laughs> that I've heard him. I've been standing outside the locker room when he absolutely expletive-laced tirades. And he'd be yelling at everybody from Tim Duncan to Sean Marks to who, <laughs> you know. And they just took it, and they went, yep. Uh, but when you watch a situation where Pop calls a timeout and goes and sits down, and lets the players, he's like, look, they know what they did wrong. I don't need to tell them. And they know. And they fix it. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, look, it's absolutely amazing that story with Sean Marion, too, because Sean Marion, I think, if, I think you, you polled a lot of guys in the uh, NBA, worst jump shot in the league. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So he was the same way. Like, His shot was kind of a – it wasn't quite as low as, as Kevin Martin. Kevin Martin, it was really a waste kind of shot, and you're wondering how does it not get blocked every time, but he, he got it off quick enough. Matrix kind of had the same shot. It was kind of a shot put, like, fling, and every time he shot it, you're like, there's no – oh, three-pointer, okay, in Phoenix. Such a great three-point shooter for them. In Dallas, it just became a very bizarre and ugly but effective uh, sort of – I don't want to call it a hook shot, but it was a paint shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill, I think this is a good first test episode. Let's let everybody know where they can find us. You can go first, and then I'll finish up, and then we'll uh, we'll do this again next week sometime, and we'll we'll keep building this. When the season starts, we'll be locked and loaded. Fantastic. Well, of course, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at the Rocket Guy because I started my career covering the Houston Rockets. I'm from Houston, uh, but then also backsportspage.com. If I'm doing any writing, it's happening there. And, but I'll also be tweeting that out every time I do. So you can, if you're subscribing, if you're uh, following me on Twitter, you'll get everything that, that's happening with our podcast, with our writing, with, with everything else that's going on. So at the rocket guy on Twitter. And of course you can follow me at Randy BSP on Twitter and at Instagram. I'm on Facebook, at, you know, Randy Zelia and also backsportspage.com at backsportspage. Visit the Facebook page as well. And of course the website backsportspage.com. Listen, Bill, this was fun. Let's do this again uh, next week. And we have a lot more hoops to do. And next week's topic will be a little bit more – we'll do a little bit more structure. We'll have a little bit more fun. And we'll zoom in on maybe one or two topics. And we'll have maybe even have a guest or two. So, Bill, thank you very much. I don't know we'll, if I can uh, have more we'll fun, but, yeah, that was great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> you got it, Bill. We'll, we'll, we'll do this again next week. Until then, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.